All right. Thank you, Richard. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, you may look a little strange. We did things a little different this morning as as Pastor Dallas was off this last week and he asked if I would just fill in for today. So for those of you that are new or visiting this morning, uh, you won't have to look at me every Sunday, just maybe twice a year or something along that line. Uh, but I do want to make a mention that, you know, Dallas and Brooke were on vacation this week, as I said, but you can look around and see they were here this week doing the decorating, the wreaths, the trees, all that. If you look in the classrooms, uh, there's a lot going on here. Uh, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I would say to some of you, your help is needed. There's something for you to do here. I know some of you are getting ready to do some work here uh, in some of our ministries and stuff, and that's, that's greatly appreciated. The Lord would be pleased with you. Uh, don't know what things have been for you in the past in church or wherever you've been to church, but there's opportunities to serve here, and it's needed, and again, it's appreciated. We're going to be looking in Mark chapter 3 today uh, as Pastor Dallas has been going through the book of Mark. And we're going to focus on verse 20 through verse 30 today because for some of you that maybe have been in church for a while, you may have read this passage. Some of you may not be familiar that there's such verses in the Bible, but you're going to see in this passage is going to be mentioned what has been termed and called here the unpardonable sin. Now, don't fret. Don't fret. Let me go through the lesson and uh, just be at ease. Some people, though, I've come to find out, believe they have committed or they wonder, have I done something that God will not forgive? Have I done something along the line maybe of this passage? Uh, but, but let me rest you assured here to put yourself at ease. If you're in that group or you can maybe meet someone that maybe feels like because... How many times have we met people and witnessed to people and talked with people and people make these comments? Well, if I go in that church, that roof's going to cave in. Well, it's still standing and as bad as you is here right now. You know, so, so don't fret that something bad's going to happen and don't look at it this way. Oh, God just won't accept me because, you know, I've done some bad things in my life lost or saved. And I call to mind Moses, who was a murderer. I call to mind David, who had an affair with a woman and got her pregnant and had her husband killed. I call Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, that stood and persecuted the church and imprisoned the church and tortured Christians. I look at Peter who walked with the Lord for three years and said three times, I don't know who he is. Fear for his own life. There was nothing in all of those lives that wasn't able to be forgiven. So you can't place yourself there and say, and let me tell you this, here's where I've seen over the years, I see some people, and maybe you can relate to this, I just can't believe I would do something like that. And I just can't forgive myself. Do you know that if you take the statement and you say, I cannot forgive myself, that you're saying, God, my standard is higher than your standard. You can forgive me, but I can't forgive me. Maybe you've been in that category. But there's still hope. Let's go on and look at this 
And with me, if you would, Mark chapter 3 and verse 20. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. When his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. So here is some of Jesus' relatives and maybe some friends that he grew up with or that knew him. And here he has been ministering uh, prior in this chapter earlier in the chapter and verse 2 tells that he healed somebody on the Sabbath day. That was against the law to do work on the Sabbath day. And so people were starting to discuss Jesus and they were trying to pick Him apart. And we were looking here at His family that came to Him and said, oh, the multitude, uh, unlike most churches today, there was such a multitude that they didn't have time to eat. They were so busy ministering that they didn't have time to eat. Now, some of you, if you're like me, if I'm out in the shed and I'm building something or I'm in the, in the yard doing yard work or whatever, I'll tell my wife occasionally, I'm in work mode right now. I don't want to take time to eat. If I stop and eat, I'm going to lay down, I'm going to lay back, and I'm not going to get much done after that. I struggle right now, and like when I was younger, it's, 15 minutes work and 45 minutes thinking about what I'm going to do next. I take breaks in there and thereabout. So here they were overwhelmed. Jesus, Jesus was ministering. He was sold out. And He came together and this multitude and His family said, oh, He takes this religion stuff too serious. He takes serving God. And do people ever say that? I wonder. I would ask you, do you take serving God serious? Is it, is it a priority for you? Where are you at today in this? I've often said to my class, I'm saying if we went to court and I was accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to find me guilty? Is there enough evidence? Can you prove that I'm a Christian? Can you observe me and prove it? If you had to say, well, it looks like it. He probably is. Because look, he's done this, he's done that. But is there enough evidence in your life? So people will say sometimes, and maybe you've had this said, that you take it too serious. I mean, after all, your money, your time, you're there, you're doing something. Maybe not from daylight till dark like Jesus did. He was pretty much 24-hour. Jesus would be a 24-hour Christian. Round the clock. He never stopped. That's why He was in these predicaments here that people said, oh, uh, don't, don't think much about Him. He's just out of His mind a little bit. Um, you know, his, it, He just had too much religious zeal. He just wanted to, he, he was on the verge of, he could be a fanatic. You know, the Bible tells us that the world looks at Christianity as foolishness. The cross. What's your mark today? I want to point something out to you. You ever shot a rifle? You ever looked down a sight? Not a scope, a sight. Do you know that that's what that's supposed to represent there? That's a sight. And that's the target. That's what that's about. Maybe you didn't know that. What are you aiming for with your life? Remember the old Mel Gibson show, uh, The Patriot? Aim small, miss small. 
right? Aim small, miss small. So the world thinks this, so you're crazy. You're overly possessed. You're possessed with just, you know, you, you just went too far. I mean, so the, the scribes and Pharisees here that we're going to look at in verse 22, the scribes came down from Jerusalem and said, He has Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casts he out devils. Now again, earlier in that chapter, uh, in verse 2, he said, He healed on the Sabbath day. That's one mark against him. He's breaking the law of Moses. He broke the law of Moses. So something's got to be wrong with him. In verse 6, if you want to look there, we're in chapter 3. The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him. The Herodians were the political group of the day. They were the supporters of Herod. Don't you know, we're not going to get too far in this, but don't you know one day in the future, in the tribulation time, religion and the political system are going to join together and produce a false god? And that's the way control happens. It's got to be done politically and with religion to control people. That's what this world's heading to. There's going to be a joint venture one day. As we go on into this though, them saying he has Beelzebub means he uses to do the things he's doing because remember, he broke the law of Moses, so he can't be right. He uses the ruler of the demons to cast out the demons. The name has a couple different meanings. You ever been out in the pasture? Or have a dog that uh, relieves itself? What soon gathers on those piles of dung? Flies. Right? So he was accused of being the Lord of the dung of flies or the Lord of filth. That's who Beelzebub was. So these men, now I want to emphasize this and we'll get a little more into this. They were making this accusation. Jesus never is He going to say you are not able to be forgiven because when you make that accusation, you may just be saying it and not really mean it. There may have been some in the group that didn't mean what their representatives were saying, but they may have. And we're going to see in a few minutes that if that's truly what their heart is, that they're looking at Jesus walking on the earth, doing all this work that He does, casting out demons, healing the sick, doing these miracles and accuse him of being demon-possessed. That's where we're getting this topic of discussion from, from people like that. And what was the motive? We're jealous. We're jealous. Because he's taken away. After all, the multitudes don't gather and swarm around us. So he's having more influence than we have. And not only that, the Romans, who we were under the rule of at this time, may come and take away everything that we have because 
He's practically proclaiming himself to be king of a kingdom. So we're afraid of him. So we have to figure out a way to catch him and justify his death. That's what's all going on in the minds of these people that would make this kind of statement and really believe what they were saying. So he calls them together here in verse 23, and he said unto them, and he's, how can Satan cast out Satan? Now that's a question. He's asking them a question. You accuse me of this. How and why would Satan cast out Satan? That would be like if you're my enemy and I'm about to defeat you and I'm going to back away and give you food and water and let you get recover so you can uh, reinstitute the fighting that I would want you to be in that mindset. He says in verse 24, And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. And I would add, no church that's divided can stand. That verse isn't in there, but that's the same context that he is saying. So Jesus is telling them, essentially, somebody stronger than the demons is here. I'm able to bind them and cast them out. If Satan has a work going on where he's got people trampled under his feet, the roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, he's not going to put a muzzle on his mouth. He's not going to stop persecuting you as a believer. He's not going to back off uh, because, you know, after all, you have went through a lot. and So I'm just going to back away from you a little bit. No, he don't. He has no mercy. He has no truth. He has no compassion. The Bible tells us the devils believe in God and tremble, but you know what the difference is? They don't trust Him. They believe there's a God. They probably believe it more than you and I do because they've been there and beheld it all. But they don't have belief enough that it develops into trust. That's the difference between us and them. Just because a person believes in God doesn't mean they have a home in heaven. There has to be an action that's revealed. Otherwise, what's the difference? Now, that action doesn't make you saved. The action is a result of you being saved. So there's no work involved. But here he says in verse 28, he says, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost has never forgiveness but is in danger of eternal damnation. And I say that because he's saying, you guys are making these accusations. Do you really believe what you're saying? And if you really believe what you're saying, you don't have any forgiveness. You can't come to me tomorrow and say, oh, yesterday, you know why? 
Because if you're that far gone in your thinking and your faith is that, it's not going to enter into your mind, well, I need to repent of that sin. You're not going to consider that as an option. The fact that you think or you say, oh, I may need to be forgiven of something, shows that you haven't done that. Because that's not even going to enter into your logic. You're not going to reason that, oh, wait, I made a mistake yesterday or last week or last month. I need You won't do it. Do you know that the Bible speaks, and I don't want to get too far off of this topic, but to this point, the Bible speaks that one day people are going to take, you've heard the 666 in, in Revelation that's mentioned. Do you know that nowhere of anyone that receives that 666 in their thought, in their thinking, in their mind, on their heads, will never repent? Because the Bible says He comes back and He destroys those that have taken the mark of the beast or the name of the beast or the number of His name. They won't repent because it's not going to enter into their minds to repent. They don't think they have anything to repent of. Because He said He had an unclean spirit. Verse 30. The doom of these religious leaders. Jesus also says in other passages, if you tell me that I'm doing wrong or I'm possessed by the devil, exorcism was practiced by them and their families. Who do they cast demons out by? Do they have God's Spirit? And they couldn't answer that. So they'll never be forgiven. That Make that statement. Why? Why? Because they're not going to consider it. Somebody who really believes they're right and is sold out to that, to humble yourself and say, I was wrong. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. It's just not going to happen. People who hear the Gospel and are convicted, now listen to me, and say, not today, another time, when I'm older, after I've had my fun. You know what you're doing? You're scraping your heart, your spirit, with sandpaper. And it's going to get toughened. And can people reach a point where the Spirit of God can no longer penetrate their heart? Because in order to be saved, you have to be convicted or convinced that you need a Savior. Can that happen? That doesn't mean it's unpardonable, but can you get to that point? That's a danger. Now the difference here and there in Jesus' life, He's there, He's doing this, and they said, He's, he, Satan is working in his life. But a lost person can get to the same point, not equated equal with that, because you can be forgiven. Yes, we've all, wait God, hold on God, uh, not right now God, I want to do some things first God, uh, I do want to serve you, but hold on, there's some things, you know, i got to clean my life up, as we said earlier, i got to clean my life up, and I want to quit doing some things so I can get... So what are, what are you doing then? 
you're saying, oh, if I can clean my life up enough, then God will say, well, look, they're really trying, so I'm going to go ahead and save them. No, that's not the way He works. That's not the way He works. They've reached this point where they won't be convicted or convinced that I need a Savior. That's the danger today. The danger today for the lost. That's it. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no clause. Except you don't do this. That's not in there. It's a universal. Whosoever will can be saved. Whosoever wants to drink of the water of life freely in Revelation tells us that. Whosoever. Whosoever. So the danger for the lost person today is just that. That you continue hardening your heart. You continue running from God. You continue trying to reason it out in your own logic. In your own thinking. You know. But God says, hey, there's no clause. There's, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. I want to finish up here. If you'll turn with me, I know I probably don't have this on the, on the Bible, but if you want to look with me in Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> I'll read this to you. But this is what we know as the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. Now this is to believers. This is to believers. And in verse 12, part of that model prayer says this, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Two things that Jesus spoke about that show the epitome of Christian love, of one who's really walking with God. One, he says, if a person lays down his life for his friends, which is what he did, he laid down his life for his friends, that is an act of God being present in that Christian. The second thing that really shows, now watch here, that really shows that you have God in your heart is to have a forgiving spirit. Because that's what God did. He forgave. Those people were beating Him and driving nails into His hands and His feet and putting a crown of big thorns. You ever seen these locust trees that had them big thorns on it? Imagine someone taking that and jamming that down and smacking it a couple times on your head and ripping your beard out and doing all these things. And to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's Christian love. But here, here's the warning to Christians. Here's a warning. Look with me at verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but, but, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That's not unpardonable. That's not an unpardonable sin, but nevertheless, it's a sin. And he's telling us there, what does he mean by that? He means this, if you have a heart that won't forgive people, and yet you come to me and say, oh God, I need forgiveness, He won't do it. Because if your heart's not right to forgive, your heart's not really right to be forgiven. You're not really asking. 
with true confession for forgiveness. It's shallow. Just in case, God, in case I did anything today, uh, before I close my eyes and go to sleep, forgive me of all my sin today, and then I want to get to sleep quick before I sin again, before I fall asleep. I start thinking about something. It's not unpardonable. But it is something that happens. So if you want to be like God, you want to be like Jesus, be warned of this, but don't be afraid. But be warned of these other two instances too. If you're lost, you have no assurance of tomorrow. You have no assurance of today. And if you die without Jesus, you know what? That's unpardonable. Not in this lifetime, but after this lifetime, it's unforgivable. To stand before God and not have Jesus is unforgivable. For the believer to have a heart that won't forgive is unforgivable. That's what he said. I'm not going to forgive you if you don't forgive. So, in a parallel sense, that's unpardonable also. Because you're a Christian. You know better. A lost person can say like Paul did, I did things in my ignorance. But you know better. You know better. So where are you today? You can be forgiven. You must have a forgiving spirit. You know the only way to get that? Is have Christ in you. We pray. Father, we do come to You. Just thank You for the words, the truth of Your lesson. Father, we just pray that You bless as only You can. You provide as only You can. Your mercy, Your grace, Your fullness that's freely given to all who would receive it, God. We just pray that You continue to move in hearts and lives, saving souls. Father, we just give You the praise for Jesus. Amen. So the altar's open. If you'd like to come and pray, if you've never been saved, you don't have to come.